from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back to a final edition of the Sunday side session for the 2023 season. Why is it final? Because Nebraska football, once again, will not be playing a game in December or January that isn't a regular season game, you know, with all the apologies in the world to that great Rutgers game in 2020. Uh, you know, Nebraska has not played a bowl game in quite some time. And that will occur again in 2023 as Nebraska finished the month of November winless. And it culminated in another 13 to 10 last second walk-off field goal loss, this time to Iowa. They all look the same. Uh, so we needed to bring in an expert here to help you know, sift through what we experienced yesterday. And who better than someone born in the state of Iowa? But huh. has spent most of his, you know, adult life, I think, in the state of Nebraska at this point. Is that fair, Gary Sharp? You know what? That's true. I think I have lived more in Lincoln and Omaha than I did in. Oh, yeah. I've lived in Nebraska longer than 18 years. There I lived, you go. Eight, I lived 18 years in uh, Urbandale, Iowa. Look at that. If you were to, you know, you break it all out, you you get that much time in Nebraska, that much time in Iowa. That makes you the, the right guest for today's <laughs> Sunday side session. Oh, I don't know if that's the case, but I'll try to hold up the best. I, I'm the guy that's sitting in the middle of the Missouri River right now. <laughs> Hopefully you're the only one in the Missouri River right now. That wouldn't be good. That wouldn't be good. All right. So, you know, if, if you're listening to this, there's a good chance mm-hmm. you watched the game or you at least read about the game. Nebraska lost 13 to 10, walk off field goal, barely snuck in above the crossbar. They needed every one of the yards that they had accumulated on the, the play two plays prior on a 22 yard Kashan. Uh, I don't even know what the last name is anymore. It doesn't matter. Iowa's running back who isn't that good. They've never been that good. And they never William. will be that good. Williams. Picked up 22 yards on another bus from Nebraska and they achieved a game winning field goal. Lots of things got to that point, Gary. So where do you want to start? Um, I don't know. You know, I think you said you had, you said the, the short picture, the big picture, um, I don't, I don't know. It just all looked way too familiar the fourth yeah. quarter, but I want to start here and tell me if I'm wrong. We kind of, because of past history around here, Nebraska has been unable to seize momentum. Momentum is like a great thing. It can be good and bad if you have it or you don't have it. And finally in the month of October shape, I thought they grabbed momentum, whether it's fool's gold or not because of Illinois, Northwestern, Purdue, Nebraska had won three in a row, and I don't think we wanted to go, yeah, but they still have this issue. And then November got here, and everything that had piled up on this program finally caught up to them, and reality set in of, 
who this football team exactly is trying to overcome some deficiencies, whether they be with headsets or helmets, and you end up five and seven. Am, am I crazy to think that the month of November caught up to a team that they were exactly who they were and you were just hoping for that one bounce and that one good fourth quarter, which they could not grab in the month of November, would come through and they would just get six and you'd be like, oh, my God, they finally made a bowl game. Yeah, I mean, they're the they're the same team that won in spite of themselves. They're the yeah. same team that lost because of themselves. I mean, they were largely the same team from the opening game until the final game. And I, yeah. I think in some ways that is both a compliment and then very damning. I mean, I, they they always played hard. They mm -hmm. almost always gave themselves a chance. They almost always shot themselves in the foot. And they almost always needed something to go their way in order to, to win these games. Now, in the month of October, the defense was able to stand tall enough. The offense scored enough points. Heinrich Harburg was dangerous enough, dangerous enough as a runner and unique enough that it was an issue for those teams. You get to November, Harburg's less effective. He's probably banked up. The turnovers start piling up. And Nebraska just didn't make a play. For an entire yeah. month, yeah. they did not make a play in the fourth quarter. I mean, they're, they're legitimately, they scored one fourth quarter touchdown in the entire month. They scored uh, a grand total of, let me do the math here, 20, 17, so 37, 17. They scored 54 points across four games. Uh, one of those games featured a team that won't make a bowl game. Three of those teams featured teams that are, you know, I know what Iowa's record is, but roughly 500 teams. Yep. You know, that they, they none of the teams that they lost to were unequivocally better than Nebraska. None of the teams that they lost to, you know, necessarily deserved to win the game more than Nebraska did. And yet, here Nebraska is 0-4 on what, you know, feels like four straight coin flips. Uh, but it, it could so much more than that because one of, the, one of the disappointing things to me, and, you know, we're going to run through all of this, it didn't necessarily feel like they got better throughout the year. It just kind of felt like they were sort of who they were. And I don't know if that's a product of all of the injuries that they had, if it's a product of the fact that maybe they overachieved in some areas and there's only so much that you can get out of your defense, like there wasn't another level for them to climb to because maybe they maximized what they were defensively. Um, they regressed on special teams almost throughout yep. the entire year up until the moment that they got the, the one punt inside the five-yard line that they needed in the three other games that probably maybe spins a result there. Uh, but against Iowa, their quarterback falling backwards can flip the ball to the running back in a way that <laughs> could not happen to for yeah. Nebraska. You know, Brunson and I came up with the 52 different scenarios that would have happened if that would have been Nebraska. The ball would have flipped off of the running back's face mask directly into the waiting hands of a defensive end yeah. for a touchdown, that sort of thing. Uh, so, you know, I mean, they just didn't create their own breaks. Uh, and the way that they were sort of doing in the month of October. And it's just hard because I, I feel like on, on some hand, Gary, you want to, on one hand, you want to talk about, you know, Matt Rule did a nice job of getting these guys to buy in and they played hard. And no one can tell you that this team did not play hard from the first yep. whistle until the very last whistle. And that is yep. a huge compliment because that's been a problem. I yep. think, you know, the last seven years, six years, whatever. So effort was not an issue. But, man, is there a lot they have to clean up in the offseason. And I can't say that I left the press conference on Friday 
feeling great about the way that Matt Rule answered a few things too. So it's a going to be another you know long off season around here. But the good news is Nebraska has dominated the off season. It's just <laughs> when the season starts that's yeah. when the problems begin. Yeah, I, I I agree with you about the bookends of the season. Looked all too eerily familiar with some good, some bad, and some ugly, and some ultimate L. And I think you also factor in because Rule just got here, and you remember what he said after that Minnesota game. Hey, I haven't had, I haven't experienced those kind of things. This is all new to me. Well, the first game and the last game looked all too eerily familiar of the past coaching staff of those kind of mistakes that that bite you in a game that is right there. And and you know, there were so many games in the month of November that were 50-50 games that Nebraska wasn't able to win and they haven't been able to win. And there's turnovers of course are a familiar theme, but just making that one extra play. You know, I, I give credit to Iowa. They execute what they do well. You know, like they know that maybe they're not as talented in certain spots. But where they are talented, they execute extremely well. And I think Nebraska was kind of a little bit up and down in terms of they needed complimentary football for the month of November. And, Chafe, I thought it was rare when Nebraska would get complimentary football. In October, they really benefited. All three phases seemed to shake each other's hand. I thought, especially the Wisconsin game and especially yesterday, they weren't able to get complimentary football, and thus you leave a void – and you let somebody hang around, and that team executes better than you, and they have a backup place kicker hits a field goal at the end of the game, and they win the game. It's just, it's frustrating. I think in the in the meantime, you know, people will go, well, is it a disappointment, success, failure, whatever? I will say that the only way to judge this year in terms of progress is the response. Like they have learned things about themselves and about their roster. That what is their response to fix those, and then that will tell me what 23 was for this program. Was this success? I think there are things that were successful. I think there are things to work on. And I think there are some hard questions to ask in the offseason for this program to take the next step um, to get to where we aren't having this all too familiar feeling on a Saturday after this regular season comes to an end. Yeah. Let's, uh, before we get too far down the road of the offseason and the coaching staff, let's hit on some of the things that happened in, in the game yeah yesterday and i'm just going to ask you about specific players and then we can expand upon it as we want um we'll we'll start with this one because it is one that i've been banging the drum about really kind of going back to i don't know if it was the michigan game where he came in and he had like the 19 yard catch and it was kind of like okay all right let's see you know this is going to be a big month all these injuries let's see what we have here with with jalen lloyd i mean i i think this is a guy that I didn't know what they were going to get as a freshman out of him. And I wasn't entirely sure what his career might look like, but I was thinking if you could get something akin to the version of two, two well for the Rams. And this yeah. is the one that I keep using <laughs> because he just has elite speed and he's used in such a way where it's like, we're going to stress the defense. And every time he's in, they're going to know they may have to run a fly pattern and they're going to have to cover 50 yards of field. And there's just something about the way Nebraska has been able to incorporate Jalen Lloyd as just a guy who can run deep because of his speed. And they've hit him three times and they did again on Friday. And it, it changes the course of the game yeah. a little bit. Like yeah. we, you know, we talk all the time about Nebraska's deficiencies on offense 
and how, you know, everyone wants them to line up and just run the ball on all these teams and run, 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 run. It is really hard to run in the Big Ten when teams yep. are playing nine guys in the box, when they're yep. playing eight guys in the box. One of the big things that happened, Ryan Walters put a eighth, you know, person in the box against Nebraska and Heinrich Harburg struggled. Michigan State did the same. They put nine. They basically brought both safeties up and said, beat us. You can't. Nebraska didn't. Maryland put eight or nine in the box. Wisconsin put nine in the like it, it the Ryan Walters basically gave the blueprint of like, okay, you have to go beat us down the field. We don't think you can. And yeah. Nebraska did on Friday with that Jalen Lloyd pass. And it was one of those, Gary, yeah. where I thought he overshot him. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just a way that that you know Chubba Purdy's ball just seems to stay in the air for a long time. But then Jalen Lloyd just runs right under it, runs right into the end zone. And I just feel so confident that Nebraska's young wide receivers, and I'm throwing Jaden Dawson here, even though we didn't see a lot of them. Yep. I feel really good about what those three guys could be for next year. And it starts, you know, you would have thought maybe it would start with Malachi Coleman, but for me, it might start with Jalen Lloyd. Hey. Because even if he's not like a 55, 60 catch mm -hmm. guy, what if he's like a 35 catch guy, but he's getting 20 yards an average because you're just able to push the ball down the field. That's what Trey Palmer was. And he's now playing in the NFL, yeah. and it looks like he's going to be there for a while. Yeah, so I, I think, and I am with you, I am buying all the stock in the world in Jalen Lloyd. But let's let's start a Jalen Lloyd discussion, Chafe. He's essentially in his second year of learning how yeah. to be a wide receiver. We were talking about that in the press box yesterday. He, he transferred from Omaha Central to Omaha West Side. So that's when, okay, this is what you need to do as a wide receiver, how you get off the ball, how you run, run routes, how you high point balls, how you catch balls, how, how a quarterback's going to throw you open, and then, boom, you're hitting your head on the goalpost. So he's still learning. But I will tell you the biggest asset for him is he's got great speed, he also is extremely coachable. You don't have to babysit him. So if you tell him something once, he's going to go out, and as long as he continues to rep it, he's going to put himself in the best position to be successful, and you've got to go find him. So I am buying all the stock in the world on Jalen Lloyd. Shafe, I think he's going to be a star in the Big Ten. And yeah. you're right. I don't see a 50-60 to 60 catch season, but, man, those 30-40, to 40, he's going to be an explosive guy. Now, I think as this offense evolves of what I think they want to be and that is throwing the ball down the field. His stock is going to continue to rise. But I think we've seen him in the slot as well, and we've seen him in some intermediate routes. I think the future is extremely bright for him. I like what they did with Doss. I think we saw a little bit of glimpse, but they decided to redshirt him. They got him to four, and then they shut him down. But for that room to take the next step, those three freshman wide receivers will all be connected. We're all in on Jalen Lloyd, but, man, Malachi Coleman's got to be in on Malachi Coleman. Malachi Coleman's got an extremely important offseason coming up because mm -hmm. we know what his upside can be. But I think where Jalen Lloyd has learned in college that every play matters, whether you're involved in the play or not, that's the next step for Malachi. And if he can get that, then Nebraska's in a good spot. But this is about Jalen Lloyd. Jalen Lloyd, by the stock, I think he's going to be really, really good because he's going to learn how to be good. Yep. And he's a guy that you can just turn loose and you don't have to worry about him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that might be offensive to some people in some capacity. It might even offend the person I'm trying to compliment. I think that Jalen Lloyd is ultimately going to be what people thought Xavier Betts could be. Hmm. Like just a game-breaking player that you have at receiver from the city of Omaha, essentially. And that's, I mean, I, they're not the same athlete and they're not necessarily the same player. 
but there was a certain level of dynamic ability that Xavier Betts would have when the ball was yeah. in his hands. And there's a level and, – and the crazy thing about Jalen Lloyd is that where he's going to be more dangerous next year is when you're hitting him on some of these crossers and he's yeah. just starting to run. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw this in the in the halftime notes, but there's two receivers that had more than or had three catches or more of 50 yards in the Big Ten. One is going to be a top five draft pick in Marvin 2024, Harrison. and Marvin Harrison Jr. comes from you know a decent family <laughs> lineage, I suppose, as long as we're not talking about extracurricular activities, uh, you know. And so then you have you have Jalen Lloyd who didn't get to play a lot certainly doesn't have an offense designed to just showcase him, but took upon himself to hit big on these opportunities. And the thing is, it's not just like, Oh, he's completely open. Like that one on the the belly option. He was just wide open. It was going to take, you know, kind of a a really poor throat and for that not to work out. He had a couple catches this year. We had to reach back behind him where he had to catch it in traffic where he had to kind of make a play on the ball. And that gives me hope, too, for his maturation. Like, yeah. I, he's not going to be a one-trick pony. I, yeah. I'm really, really excited about him. So so I, I agree with you, Shafe, and we're on the same page on him. And I, and I'm, you use the word one-trick pony. I don't think this is where you're going, but I want to tie this into this. Everybody knows about his track exploits. He has got world-class speed, and he may someday be in the Olympics. But I think we're doing him a disservice if we just say it's a track guy that's playing wide receiver in college. Yeah. Because Jalen has is learning how to be a wide receiver. And yeah, he is extremely fast, but he's a wide receiver. They don't list him in the program as TKA track athlete. <laughs> they list him as WR. And I think that's important. And he is he is proving that he is a college wide receiver that has incredible speed. That is a bonus going into the offseason. But I think that wide receiver room, they got to shore it up. Marcus Washington, they got to figure out. What's his plan to get an extra year of eligibility, which I'll be very curious to see what the yeah, I don't see how is. that works. For yeah. Him. And 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 then you know, you you're gonna have a, a relatively young wide receiver room again. But I think that's an important year for that room because I think they got to connect him to their coach. Yeah. I think there were times where Garrett McGuire's youth really came into play. So year two with him, what is the respect level that everybody is on the same page and moving forward? Because they need that room. If they're going to be a downfield passing team, which I do believe that that's what Satterfield wants to do, then that room has got to be good from top to bottom. And I don't think at times, Shafe, even with all the injuries, they were all on the same page. Yeah, it it's going to be interesting with the Marcus Washington thing if that prevents them from dipping their toe into the portal and trying to not necessarily going out and getting, you know, a another Trey Palmer, yeah. though they're certainly welcome that or Samari Toure. But if you can find someone that can be maybe your number three wide receiver or just someone that provides some depth and some experience for you, because you are losing Josh Fleeks who moved over to running back at times and you are losing um, uh, Billy Billy Kemp Kemp. and you're going to lose Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. And so if you don't get Marcus Washington back, that basically leaves those three freshmen as your returning wide receivers and Alex Bullock, uh, as well and so then you you've probably got to find at least someone that can come in and just be another dependable person but it doesn't have to be a star and the good thing is there's going to be a lot of those receivers in the court yeah. there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be looking for opportunity the question is does it make sense for you and will yeah. it hold back 
uh, other guys because they're going to have some freshman wide receivers. If Ja'Cory Barney signs with Nebraska, to be huge, he is going to to command um, early playing time right. because of his athleticism. Hey, I mean, will you, so you you've got to you've got to be smart about whether you want to take someone out of the portal or not. Will you let me tie wide receivers in or uh, tight ends into this discussion? Yeah, because I, I think so. I, I, one thing that hurt Nebraska yesterday and and Iowa is so good run defense and you alluded to eight, nine in the box. And so you're playing a numbers game as an offensive lineman. But I also thought Nebraska yesterday, they were trying to hope for big runs where they would catch Iowa in a mistake. And that never happened. So the running backs were bottled up, and your best run was a, a pretty scramble. But Nebraska also wasn't very good on the perimeter in blocking. No. They needed one of those really good days that we saw periodically throughout the year. They needed to be good on the perimeter. I thought, Shafe, the tight ends, they were basically the same all season long. And I did not expect that to happen. I, I, I'm, I'm disappointed in the tight end room. I thought they would take a leap. I never saw that big leap. And it was great to get Fedoni through a whole year healthy, but I wanted more. And Borkacher, yep. who I, I think can be a really good player, there just there was nothing there. It was a weird year for that room. It was a weird start to that year with Bob Wager. I don't know what's going to happen, but if we tie tight ends or wide receivers, I think that's an area where Nebraska's got to be so much better. And I just didn't think they were. Yeah, it's interesting because the type of tight end they actually probably need is more like Jack Stoll um, at this point good in point. time than even – and it's not to take away because he was a good blocker too, but Austin Allen was such an important weapon at times in your passing game. But it's it's almost like they need that kind of physical presence on the edge. And I think if you go back to the beginning of August or really even how they put together their 2024 recruiting class – I think you could get the coaching staff if you gave them true serum to tell you that they thought the tight end room was going to be a bit of a problem for them. I mean, because they've gone out and they've went and they, they got uh, Ian Flint who was already committed. They have Carter Nelson. They took Eric Ingerson. They continue to add these tight. I mean, Keelan Smith and, and Quinn Clark are set as wide receivers, but they could end up growing into to more kind of split out tight end types in the slot. So you could tell by how they recruited, they didn't love their room. And with Ian Flint and Eric Ingerson, two guys that are big enough that could ultimately end up as offensive linemen, they may try to keep them in the fold as tight ends to give them more of a edge blocking presence. Because how many times did we see they would attempt to throw to the flats? And whether it was Alex Bullock or Thomas Fedoni or Nate Borkercher, you know, unless yeah. it was Luke Lindemeyer, you weren't sealing that edge very often. No, no. And, and that was. That was an issue. They they needed that room to be, be more consistent, yep. and they just weren't able to get it with all their other flaws. Um, but that's a room that's got to take a jump. I agree with you. They've they they knew what they were getting into. Um, now, what do you do with Fedoni in the offseason to get him? Because you got him healthy. Now, what can you do to to make that leap where he can look more like the tight end that we thought Nebraska was getting out of high school, and that we think that he might be four or five years down the road getting paid to play that position. Well, even if he's not ever going to be a great blocking tight end, yeah. how can you utilize him more in the passing game? And a lot of yeah. that comes down to how do you get your quarterbacks to trust throwing them the ball? Yeah, I mean, if Heinrich Harburg wasn't playing, the tight ends largely were irrelevant to Nebraska's offense. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Thomas Fedoni caught one yesterday that, yeah, Chubb, 
hurt he was just getting that yes. ball out. He threw it before, you know, Fedoni had even turned around. He was going to get knocked out by the ball or catch it. He chose to catch it. So they, you know, there's some of it is who is lining up at quarterback is going to dictate kind of the usage of your tight ends. But it, it did feel like as soon as Heinrich Harburg was not the quarterback anymore, the tight end targets, production, all of it just went down. Yeah. And then that makes it where if the best part of Thomas Fedoni's game is his ability to be a pass catcher, then you're really kind of hurting yourself. Because if you're not utilizing that, what are you getting out of having him out there? So I think a lot of it will be kind of dependent tight end wise on, you know, who comes in at quarterback and and if they're the type of person that, looks for the tight end in the middle of the field. Yeah, are they going to be a, a, a program that with the quarterback next year that sits in the pocket and surveys the field, or will they be what we kind of saw uh, against Iowa where they're going to roll the pocket you know, and, and throw the ball downfield? I, I, I'm with you on the philosophy. Um, it's just there's, there's certain guys on that offensive side of the ball that they made it through the year. They got a year under their belt whether it be a Malachi Coleman or Thomas Fedoni. But for Nebraska to go anywhere in 24, those are two guys that have to make a leap. Here's a third guy for you, and I'm very curious how you feel like he's played over the last month since he's been in. Where are you at with Teddy Prohaska as Nebraska's left tackle for 2024? I like Teddy, but I don't don't know that Teddy's going to be what we thought he was going to be. Yeah. I just... You know, he, it's it's been a while since he's been in school. He's ridden the ups and downs. I just, I I, I think we we in our minds think, man, this could this guy be an all Big Ten caliber offensive tackle? I think we probably got to step back on our expectations of Teddy moving forward. Could he yep. be a Could he be a good offensive tackle on a on a on a good offensive line? I think so. But in terms of just being a dominating offensive tackle, we may have. That, that may have gone away with the amount of injuries that have piled up throughout his career. Yeah, and I, I continue to wonder how much of it is just in his head at this yep. point. Like, it's he's in a, in a tough spot. He had a really up-and-down run since taking over for Turner Corcoran. Um, you know, what was it? The, the, the Northwestern game was his first start, I think. Yep. So almost essentially he got the last half of the season – to start and he's going to be you know nominally your left tackle going into next spring I don't think they're going to go find someone in the portal I don't know that they necessarily it would behoove them to try to go find a left tackle in the portal and then install them unless it's a you know an out and out guaranteed upgrade you're probably better off just moving forward but yeah I I just don't know I don't I don't have a level of trust that's really strong there I feel like the offensive line is in a good spot relative to where it was, you know, for the, the end of 2022. Um, so there's that. And you, you're going to have to replace one interior lineman, and you might be able to do that just with Turner Corcoran. Uh, but I just don't – I don't know. I don't know how I feel about uh, Teddy Prohaska. It's a big offseason, I think, for him. It could really – you know, it's a big mental offseason for him. Uh, but it was important to get those six games. There's no question about that in my mind. And so if you can – uh, dial into that and he can come out of it better in the spring and, and give himself a good runway and starting to, to fall camp and, and start to the season in 2024 would be big for this program. But he is, he is a big question mark for me for the 2024 yeah, I, season. We're, we're, we're in agreement here on the mental part. I, I think it's important for Teddy to stack days in the off season. Yeah. Like to have a full spring football, 
I don't know he, that people appreciate how much time he has missed throughout yeah. his career. Well, I think and spring, that time equals development. And when yeah. you're not, you know, mental reps yeah. are great, but you can't take 2000 mental reps and 25 physical reps and be a good player. Yeah. I think the spring part of it is huge because that's where you're not preparing for a game. So you can kind of experiment and there's not so much pressure as I got to be exactly perfect um, because we're not going to get to go back and correct some things because we got to get ready for a game. I mean, the development happens in the spring. Guys are getting ready for a game in game week. You can say, yeah, they're developing, but man, that spring is huge. And especially to him in honing his craft, I think being on the field is going to be vitally important. Also to stack days where now I can work on my craft. I don't have to work on my body. Because it's between the ears right now for him to get back to where uh, he was or at least where we think he can be. And, man, we're starting to get further and further away from that 2021 season when he was thrust into the lineup to, to try and block Aiden Hutchinson and held his own. Yeah. I All right. I'm going to throw this at you. I'm going to combine these two things. We can spend a lot of time on it. We can spend a little time on it. I honestly don't know which it would be uh, because I – I'm sort of baffled as to how Nebraska will approach both of these positions. Does Nebraska have either of its starting running back or quarterback currently on its roster? Ooh, starting running back. I think Emmett Johnson has made a case that he is firmly in the mix. Do you I, think they could go into the year of 2024 and comfortably give him the ball 20 times a game? Do you think that will happen? No. He's a guy that I think his – his operation will look like 13 carries, a couple so what of what it was touches. this year. Yes, exactly what it was, and they would be good with that. So to answer your question, because I think you have to ask a hard question is, what if Gabe Irvin is injury prone? Yeah, I don't know that I, you can count on him. Yeah, I just so, don't think that you can. So, yes, RB1 becomes in the mix. That's why the, the Kawan Lacey decommit is, is, becomes bigger and bigger as you get close to signing day. And as you turn the page to 24, now to the quarterback, no. Even though, don't you feel like, Shafe, that the last two games, what Marcus Satterfield wants to do, because I'm going to tie Rule into this as well. I think Matt Rule wants to be aggressive on offense, but is in the balance and the really awkward spot for him of he wants to be aggressive, but he's got a turnover-prone offense, so he's got to do something to make sure that they don't turn the ball over. And then you get this. What are we doing on this play? Where the last two weeks, they finally had a quarterback that they feel like they can stretch the field, that that's the offense that Satterfield wants. So what if Chubba Purdy indicates, hey, coach, I want to come back. Is he your guy? I think we all are under the impression that, and I've said this for the longest time, and even with the way Purdy has played the last two weeks, is your quarterback is not on campus but I think you need two quarterbacks, an older guy that is not just a one and done, and then a younger guy. And then you blend in the Danny Kalen and whoever decides to come back, Harburg, Purdy, whatever. But there's a lot that goes into the next quarterback at Nebraska. I think mentally they've got to be extremely strong because you know what the ringer is when you're the quarterback at Nebraska. I think they have to be a big time bona fide dog where they are a leader where people go, damn, that guy is a dude. I want to get in his boat and row with him. 
Because I think they need a quarterback that is the complete difference from Marcus Satterfield in terms of personality. I think they need an Elfid quarterback instead of Satterfield is more of a low key guy that doesn't give you this sense of urgency. I think they need the complete opposite at a quarterback and I believe they can work together. So the starting quarterback and you've, you've got me thinking now the starting running back may not be on campus. Yeah. I don't know that I think either necessarily are, I do think if they, the running back thing going into the portal, I think they'd be able to find someone. The question is, do you emphasize a bigger runner to pair with if an Emmett Johnson and a Ramir Johnson, if Ramir is coming back as well, mm-hmm. uh, is Ramir coming back just as a special teams player? I mean, you, you have so many of these questions where it's like, all right, this guy wants to come back, but what is he actually going to give you? Yeah. If, if Heinrich Harburg and Chubba Purdy both want to come back, how does that work for your, your team? I mean, yeah. and it's not so much like, oh, these guys have to be starters, but what does a backup scenario look like if it's Chubba? Like Chubba Purdy makes more sense to me as a backup for Nebraska 2024 than Heinrich Harburg does. Yes, absolutely. More comfort, more comfort. Yeah, because of what you want to do on offense, even though I think that there's probably a better chance of winning more games uh, with with Heinrich Harburg's skill set at times because it's so different. But you're trying to build your offense in one way. You can't really throw this foreign piece into it and expect everything to to go right. So I think if they could bring Chubba back with the idea of you're going to compete uh, for the job. If you don't get it, we like you as our backup. That I think makes a lot of sense. And then you could still bring in a young quarterback to have there uh, with, with Daniel Kalen as well, but you've got to get a guy who's going to be your starter. So, so me, it, it, they're in the same spot they were yeah. in 2021. Okay. Okay. This is a, let's, let's go back before we can go forward. I say that the last two weeks is kind of what Satterfield would like to do on offense. Do you agree? Um. Yes. Okay. I, I, I do. Uh, it's just hard because Chuba has some habits that they absolutely hate. He can't stay yes. in the pocket. Yes. He is so they have to absolutely roll it out. not an on schedule quarterback. Yeah. The reason why I think he'd be an interesting backup quarterback is that he can run your offense and do the things that you'd want to do, but he also has the mobility to kind of get himself out of the trouble uh, that he'll probably create by also having that same mobility. Yeah. So, so it's it's tough because I think they want an on like not just because I obviously root for the Minnesota Vikings. I think they want a <laughs> Kirk Cousins type of quarterback that they yeah. can. I don't think they want the quarterback run game to be that big of a piece of this. No, I I am with you. I think Rule had to go there because of what, what was they had on their roster, yes. and they took Jeff Sims. Yes, and so they had to adjust. Um, I think you know. I, I think there was a little off script that Purdy would run, but I think there's part of the the comment by Satterfield, which I think crushed the rest of that quarterback room. When he said last week, I liked I liked that a quarterback, I, I knew where the ball was going with the quarterback. So they like that element. So when they call a play, it's, it's not necessarily a one-read offense, which I think it is under Harburg. And, and, and it was primarily under Purdy, but I think against Iowa – there were sometimes he got to his second read. Yeah. So they like that element, but you're right. They want a guy that can sit in the pocket and survey the situation. They want to be then, on schedule. Yes. And then not get behind schedule on first down. So then we can do other things in element of our offense. We're, we're in full agreement there. 
Where is that guy that is out there that you can sell your vision and his vision meets yours? And he says, okay, Nebraska is the place for me. Yeah. Well, and and the reason I think that, I mean, you look at what Daniel Kalen uh, is projected to be. You look at Alex Mansky, who there's a Mm -hmm. decent chance Mm -hmm. could be Nebraska's next quarterback commit. Uh, the 2025 from Alcona. I mean, these are guys that have the ability to to kind of run if they need to, but where they want to make their hay is off of play action, off of freezing defenders, yeah. off of throwing through progressions, off of accuracy, off of pushing the ball a little bit downfield. That's what Charlie Brewer was at Baylor. Look, I, I think they are trying to rebuild what they did at Baylor to a degree, but to do that, you have to have a quarterback that can sit in the pocket and read and can go off of play action. And if the first guy isn't there – isn't afraid to get it to the second guy. I also think yep. you need a quarterback that can use your checkdowns. Chubble, for whatever reason, does not check down a lot. Uh, you had Emmett Johnson running wide, like wide open off of some of this action. You're you're taking Malachi deep, or you're taking Jalen yep. deep, and you're running defenders off, and you're creating that spacing, and it's right there, and you just got to dump it to Emmett Johnson. You let him work, like let him work in space. Ramir Johnson, whoever it is, they didn't do that a lot this year. I think because yep. their quarterbacks genuinely couldn't work through their progressions to get to the check down. Yep. It's, it's kind of an amazing so, thing. So you have some quarterbacks that can't ever get to their progressions. Yeah. They just want to go to the okay. check down. Then you have this where you can't even get to the check down. So aren't we having this discussion that's been a problem for Nebraska for a while that you have an OC that is a really good play designer, but the play calling doesn't match the skill set of the quarterback or the skill set of the quarterback doesn't match the offensive coordinator. So you get or the quarterbacks aren't getting good enough coaching throughout to get them to where they need to be to do these things. So it's a culmination of things of on the board in the quarterback room and the offensive room, these plays look great. And you know, everybody designs plays that ends up in the end zone. But I think in terms of drawing wide receiver route trees, I think Satterfield is pretty good, but his, his job is really mad. There's guys open everywhere. So his, but his job is he failed. So let's say he's good at the play design, which Frost was good at, but then there comes in the element of coaching up the quarterback and matching their skill set that turns the offense into a, you know, a hodgepodge of what is going on here. So this is kind of a, a thing that has been very, very um, familiar. That is something that they have to, can you find a court shape? Do you believe that there, a quarterback can come in and he can, there's, a, a quarterback is good enough that he can clean up those warts, like can be an eraser of, you know, I'm not that great of a quarterback coach in terms of your technique and developing you, but man, I can draw up plays and then just go out there and play. Yeah. I think that's out there. I mean, okay. I like, I, I don't know who it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not looking for a name, but, but that, that, there's, that, there's that enough guys in exists. college football that absolutely, I mean, Think about how we felt about these two guys that are up for the Heisman uh, here in a week in or two weeks in Bo Nix, his Auburn career, what we thought Bo Nix was when he was playing in a mess at Auburn, what we thought Michael Penix was when he was playing for Tom Allen in Indiana. And then you go put him out in the Pac-12 and you put him in systems where the offensive coaches can utilize their skill sets and they can push the ball down the field. And it's an open like. I never thought Michael Penix was this type of quarterback. And we yeah. watched him at Indiana. Uh, we watched him in the 2020 season. Even when he was at his best, it was still debatable how good his best really was. And so, um, yeah, I think you can I, find those guys. But you've got to get the right guy. And that is so yeah. much harder 
than just plucking someone out yeah. of the portal. Yeah, I mean, it's got, not that simple. They've got to want you. I just I want a quarterback that plays quarterback in Nebraska, not an athlete that plays quarterback in Nebraska. Well, that's been a problem for a while. I mean, really, and and I had no problem with how they handled this, given I think all of the sort of strings that were attached with everything. I mean, Casey Thompson, what you described, Casey Thompson and Tanner Lee are the only two guys we've watched that aren't entirely based off of their athletic ability first Mm -hmm. and then their ability to play quarterback second in the last seven years. I mean, so that that right there, um, can you go find another version of that? Can you find a better version of that? Uh, That's that's the big question. And then if, if you're trying to get two of them, um, you're probably losing quarterbacks. Nobody walked on Saturday. Yep. I thought or Friday. That was interesting. I mean, Chubba didn't walk. Jeff Sims didn't walk. Is it Jeff Sims combo at Amigos? Is that going to be <laughs> good through 2024? Uh, you know, and then Heinrich Harburg didn't walk. And I guarantee I I would be stunned if either Purdy or Harburg go into the portal, less so with with Sims. But I think for Jeff Sims at this point, you're probably looking at going to FCS. I don't know where you're going to go play. I really don't. Um, so they're, the the spring quarterback battle is, you know, you're going to be able to fill an hour every radio show yeah. uh, in March just talking about the quarterbacks. You excited about that? Uh, no. <laughs> but it's an important element for them to take the next step because no. they, they, they need a guy that just makes plays. I mean – we, we don't use a quarterback stat, you know, wins, losses that, you know, you go, hey, but Tommy Frazier was blank, blank. Um, I mean, Deacon Hill is six and one. I don't, you need a, you need somebody that fits into the the role of the offense. He was a 10 of 28 yesterday yeah. for 98 yards. Yeah. And every yeah. one of those 98 yards was enormous, by yes. the way. Now, and they all pretty much came in the first half when Nebraska's defense yep. stunk up the joint on third and long. Yep. Yeah, but 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 there is going to be a few Saturdays a year where that guy at quarterback needs to be a dude. Yep. And that dude needs to make plays. And that dude needs to be the reason why you won a football game. It's been a while since we can say Nebraska won because of the quarterback. Yeah. You gotta change that. Well, it'll be a full off season of trying to figure out who the guy is, trying to talk yourself into uh whoever it is, and then you know, a bunch of off-season videos that are going to make them seem like they're the guy until they actually have to play a football game. So that'll be, you know, what we're used to around here. So there's that. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's uh, let's talk a little defense. Let's talk a little coaching. I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on 
any of this, but I do want to get to ultimately our thoughts on Matt Rule now versus our thoughts on Matt Rule November 25th of last year when he essentially, you know, was everyone's guy, you know. We we knew that he was going to be hired. So we'll get into that. Before we get there, though, a couple things on defense. Just give me give me a player you're excited to see what he looks like in 2024. Uh, Deshaun Singleton. Okay. Line now, up right there with, with Marquise Buford. Um, I think, remember, at the tail end of fall camp, Rule was talking about Singleton being a Saturday guy. And he gets hurt, and he should be okay for Sunday spring. Guy, I think you mean. Yeah, Sunday guy, Sunday guy. He he already was a Saturday guy. Yeah, he, he said he was going to be a Sunday guy. Damn um, Friday games. So I'm curious to see him. I, I I think this defense is in a good spot. I worry about middle linebacker in 2024. Yeah. I I think they have some intrigue with the pass rush. They they might have for the first time Shafe in a while, and he's going to have to make that next leap. James Williams, like a true pass rusher, which can get to the quarterback without bringing pressure. Nebraska did a really good job this year getting to the quarterback when they brought some pressure and they got guys that got home. Um, but on defense, I would say Singleton, what is the development of Tommy Hill? What is the status of Isaac Gifford moving forward? Um, and then you have two horses up front in Hutmacher and Robinson who can be game changers in a 3-3-5. What does their next step look like? Could they be as scary as they were this year and take the next step. So I think all three levels, there's someone there that I'm very curious on what they look like in the next step. But I will tell you, I believe that they are in a, and I know this for a fact, they're in a good spot defensively. They are further ahead than anyone could have expected on defense. And they got guys that are dogs that want to play on defense that now know the system. And I think from top to bottom, they are well coached. And the, and the D.C. has coached up the coaches and then let them coach their position group. And it's fun to play on defense. And I'm excited to see what they look like with another year of seasoning and the amount of talent that they're bringing in. They went heavy on the back end. What does that mean for level one and two? Yeah, I there's two spots on this defense that I'm curious about because I feel good about what theoretically is going to be back everywhere else. You hit the big one in middle linebacker. I actually felt, and I don't know how you did, I felt like the worst part of Nick Henrich going out against Wisconsin is that he was going to play a lot against Iowa. And I think he would have been pretty helpful for you. I'm not saying you wouldn't have had a couple of those busts if he was on the field, but I thought we got the best version of Nick Henrich in his Nebraska career at times in 2023 because he wasn't asked to do things that he couldn't do. He was asked to play forward against teams that made sense for him to play forward. He got into the backfield. He was able to utilize some of the schemes and play off of his teammates. Uh, So I thought it was a a bigger blow than maybe we talked about at the time when he went out right before that Iowa game. And I, I, I love Luke Reimer. He had a great career at Nebraska. Um, I think he fit the role of what you need against spread teams and and playing in coverage and all of those things. I just felt like if you played against the more physical teams, he was going to be taken out. And at times he was uh, against Iowa. I mean, he just couldn't, they, they would run those slow developing run plays and he would either overrun it or they would be able to kick him out of the hole or whatever it was. It's just not as big. And so I, I am very interested. I think Makai Bayer could replace Luke Reimer. Um, and, and give you that element of it. We'll see what John Bullock ultimately decides to do. Uh, if he returns for another year, he could be helpful as well. But they're going to probably need a little bit of a thumper, and I don't know who that is. I don't know what's yeah. 
I don't know what's down the bench at middle linebacker. And that might be a position where if you could go find an FCS starter to, to kind of come in and, and provide depth there and give you a little bit of size in that middle linebacker spot, that that certainly has my attention. And then cornerback opposite yep. of Tommy Hill. I, did you know Tommy Hill led the team in interceptions and pass breakups? Uh, I did not know pass breakups. I knew that when he picked it off at midfield yesterday, that was his fourth of the year. Yep. Fourth, four interceptions, nine pass breakups. Doesn't even count the really nice one he had against uh, Purdue there on the two point conversion. He led the team. He led the team yeah. in uh, in those categories, yeah. and it it's you know remarkable to me, Gary, because think about how people were talking about Tommy Hill after the Colorado game. He gave up the long reception on third and seven down the sidelines. You know, he he's brought in on these offensive plays that have gone nowhere. Uh, it was like, what are they doing with him? What can he be? Is this guy ever going to be anything? And then now he's your unquestioned starting corner on one of the yep. sides of the field. the The bigger question is, can Malcolm Hartzog erase a sophomore slump and come back and give you something? Or is he too small to play in this conference and you have to utilize him in different ways? And then if if that is true, who is that other corner? Do you yeah. have that guy? Is it? You know, he he missed a, a ton of time with injury himself. Was Dwight Boodle someone that could have been coming on strong in the months of October and November? Do they have a corner that they have committed that they feel like could come in and play yeah. early? I don't know that that to be the case, but that other cornerback spot is probably the only other area on the defense where I'm kind of like, hmm, wonder what they're going to do there. Otherwise, I mean, you want to run through what should have people well, fired up? Oh, well, sorry, go ahead. So, so I, so they got to get Hartzog off the roller coaster. It was not yeah. a good year, and. I know they like to cross-train guys, safety cornerback. I don't think he handled the transition very well. And they asked him to do – I mean, he was doing stuff in the middle of the game. Omar Brown goes out in the game, and all of a sudden you're playing safety and cornerback. They need to get him off the roller coaster, and I think they need to determine a position and keep him there, yep. whether it's what you said about him at cornerback and his size or put him at safety and just leave him there and let him play that position. This whole discussion about defense comes down to – they need help from the offense because as good as they were in a lot of areas this year, isn't it wild, Shafe, to think about the one place where this defense struggled was getting off the field on third and long. Yeah. It just – it almost doesn't make sense when you look at all the good things they did. So that became an issue, and I really thought as they got into November and they faced three really good – three quarterbacks that gave them elements – one with his arm, the other two with their legs. They got a little sloppy in their technique. Like they started to play defense, you know, not with their eyes up. So when they yeah. would blitz, Tanner Mordecai's running out the back door. Um, I thought they got a little sloppy in their run fits yesterday, and especially there at the end, you know, a Gifford and a Rhymer. I thought this defense really started to, they were on the field a lot in November, and they bailed you out numerous times. But I thought at, at some point they were starting to really, really bend and they were close to breaking. You could hear it start to break. They never fully went into full break. So they're going to need some help from the, uh, the offense because they were out there a lot. But one of the staples of this defense, which I, I think is key, is the sense of urgency from Tony White that they were so good on quick change defense because that's been a plague for Nebraska defensively. And those guys were... Those guys were so good when you needed to make a play. When all of a sudden Ethan Nation fumbles, you got to get out there. I was knocking on the door. You blocked a field goal. 
Or in other cases, you allowed a field goal. So there's a lot to like about that defense, but they're also going to need a little help next year from that offense on staying on the field and not putting them in positions where their backs are up against the wall and they go, oh, that's the defense. They got it. Yeah. No, there's no question about it. There's no question about it. The the thing that should make you wonder if there's another jump for them uh, up front defensively. I mean, if, if Ty Robinson and Nash Hupmaker are back, you have those two guys, you're writing them in Sharpie. They're going to be heavily involved. And then right around them, you've got freshmen in Riley Van Poppel, Cam Lenhart, Prince Will, Umami Ellen. I mean, these guys got such good run this year that it gives you reason to be excited about what they're going to look like, you know, as as mm-hmm. sophomores, what they're going to look like moving yep. forward. I I think Nebraska's defensive line uh, under Matt Rule is always going to be a strength. It's been a strength everywhere he's ever been, uh, and I don't I don't look for that to change. Whether Terrence Knighton is is the you know defensive line coach or someone else, and yeah. I think a lot of that is because of, they have a good idea for the technique they want to run. I think they free these guys up to just kind of be aggressive. Yep. You know we've we've seen a lot in, in Nebraska where you ask your defensive lineman to read and react and to do all of these things. Here it's just. Beat the guy in front of you, find the ball carrier, find the guy with the ball. And that allows them to to take on multiple blocks and open things up for teammates. And uh, I'm, I'm excited what they could be, you know, there on that back end. And then I I am really curious, too. I, I anticipate Isaac Gifford to be back next year. Uh, he did walk on Friday. Yeah. Do you think there's another level to his game? Or do you think that he's maybe, like, hitting his head a little bit on the ceiling because he – was Nebraska's leading tackler. And at times he was a guy flying up, making plays from the Rover spot. And I think when you're playing in the big 10 West and their offenses are sort of as, as problematic as they are, you don't worry about Isaac Gifford being out athleted by running backs or tight ends or whatever he's being asked, asked to cover. Uh, But I do wonder realistically, is there a whole lot more that you can expect to get out of him? Or if he's just giving you that, if he's giving you 2023, is that good enough in 2024, assuming the rest of the defense stays strong around it, too? I think it is. I I, I think he is he is who he is. I think he's kind of maximized yeah. who he is. Yeah, and like I, think, I don't know that we can get more from no. him. No, and I and I think he's a good fit in this defense. But here here's another thing about his position. Does Nebraska have a guy Shafe on the roster that can can be able to defend tight ends? That became an issue yesterday against Iowa. You brought up Reimer and his physicality um, when teams go right at him. Does Nebraska have a guy that can shut down a tight end in, in one-on-one coverage? Is that Javen Wright? Uh, I think it can be, and at times you've seen it. But there were times where they got yeah. Gifford on a tight end and you went, uh-oh, that's not going to be good. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that there's anybody currently on the roster where I'm like, yeah, that could be kind of your guy, and that might be hey. something – you have to develop or you have to find uh, sort of within in the program. Can I sneak in a wild card on this discussion about defensive guys and maybe Absolutely. looking ahead? What's your thoughts on James Williams? On on what James Williams can be? Yes. I think he's part of that group. I left his name off. I think Jamari Butler is part of that group. But there's a lot that I like on defense. Mm-hmm. I I think the numbers won't show this. But I think Jamari Butler was really good yep. for Nebraska this year. You know, I you know, we're, we spent a lot of time talking about the young guys. We spent a lot of time talking about Ty Robinson and Nash Hutmaker. One dude that every single week was getting three hurries and sometimes a sack was Jamari Butler. Yep. 
And I think another year in this system, another year with this coaching staff, another year with Corey Campbell, Jamari Butler could be pretty dangerous. And you take that and you extrapolate it to James Williams, who is more sudden and has a unique skill that we haven't seen from a Nebraska defensive lineman in a long time. And that is his burst off of the line of scrimmage. He is a speed rusher. And quite frankly, Gary, I mean, Randy Gregory was a speed rusher, yeah. but Randy Gregory was just a freak, right? Like he was good at everything that he did. Do we have to get to Demoria Williams before we talk about someone <laughs> who gave you the element of, yeah. and I'm trying to think of which game it was. Michigan state comes to mind. You find the sack that James Williams had or his hurry in that game. He is around the tackle in like a half second. Yep. It's kind of, you know, when we complained about Nebraska's offensive line play where it's like they don't even get a hand on a guy, that's what James Williams was doing to tackles at times this year. He did it to uh, Northwestern, and he did it to Michigan State. And you give him another year, you give him Corey Campbell, you give him Terrence Knighton or Phillip Simpson or Matt Rule or whomever, James Williams could be quite a weapon for you on third and long. Uh, I, I agree. I, I love – when I think of natural pass rushers, the long arms, um, like the tenacity and the knowledge of how to beat tackles off the line of scrimmage or where you're going, um, uh, he's the guy that, man, he fits what I think of as a pass rusher. I I'm excited to see his development because now they've got him. He got a little bit of a taste. You saw what he could do, and you know that they'll, they'll work on his body a little bit. He's a guy that is going to pop on the screen in 2024, and you're going to go, whoa, there's a Matt Rule guy that they took a chance on. He took a chance on Nebraska, and it's going to work out, and they're going to put him in the right position. And they need that. I, I think they need to, moving forward, find the guy that can disrupt on his own and not because you're bringing pressure. Yeah. But I want to add to your point about Butler. Boy, that that might be one of the bigger pickups out of the portal. That was their best portal pickup. Oh, he went into the portal. He was here. He was like, I don't know. He came back, and that and that's the sign of that defense. They found a spot for him, and boy, he just he burst onto the scene. I, I, I can't wait to see what he looks like in another year. There's a lot to like on that defensive side of the football. I think they got the core, and they got the foundation, and they got the knowledge of a three-three-five, and now they know who can play and who can't play in it. Their their ceiling is their their ceiling is pretty high, um, and especially if and I don't think Tony White's going to leave. Um, he comes back and you keep that staff intact. Or if somebody decides to go take a DC job somewhere, you got somebody on staff to fill in. Boy, that's a good core to start the the, the season while you fix the offense, that the defense is going to be good from the jump. All right. We got to finish with this. I know people have been asking for it for weeks. You know, every time you post a report card, they want one. <laughs> they want to get up there for coaching. I don't do it. I won't do it. Uh, but we can certainly discuss it right now. One year in, how do you feel about Matt Rule? The program as its foundation is in a much better spot. I think the talent is a little bit better. I think there's still the element that we don't know about in-game that we think we know, but I'm not ready to you know, make a, a huge judgment until I see the response. I think this whole year, Shafe, on calling it either a success or a disappointment, and there's a tinge of disappointment right now. I'm not in fan policing. If you want to be disappointed, you certainly can be because there is, it is disappointing. 
You had four opportunities to become bowl eligible for something you haven't done since 2016. And the schedule laid out in front of you and you weren't able to seize that opportunity. That's disappointing. But I think before we can judge what happened in 2023, we have to see the response. Like, how do they respond to things that ailed them this year? And then you can tell if it was a success because they learned their lesson or do they repeat it in 2024. But a year later to this Saturday, a year ago, when we found out that Matt Rule is going to officially be the head coach at Nebraska, I think they're in a better spot. Matt Rule is a builder. Go build. Yeah, I I think you put that well. Um, the, The problems that I have at the moment are things that, you know, I want to... I want to see play out. I'm not advocating any sort of anything. And I don't think that Matt rule has to make any changes if he doesn't want to, with his staff, I think there's certainly ones that I would emphasize over others. Uh, no question about it, but I'll leave that for another time. However, it is hard for me because I, I feel like this program on days that are Sunday through Friday arrow went way up this year. Yes. Way up. Yes. Sunday through Friday, this program is as healthy as it's been in a long time. Long time. Saturdays, that's where I thought you were going to get the benefit of Matt Rule. That's where I thought you were going to get a veteran coach who's seen all of these scenarios, that's been in these situations, that coached against the best coaches in the world in the in the NFL. And I thought that you would change out Scott Frost for Matt Rule and you would get an immediate in-game bump. And the biggest disappointment for me in the entirety of 2023 is that it felt like more often than not, Matt Rule did not press the right buttons during games. He did not, whether it was clock management, whether it was pregame strategy with Billy Kemp as your punt returner, whether it was hanging on to your quarterbacks for too long when it wasn't going well, whether it was deciding that Jeff Sims was your best option um, you know, before the year, whatever it was, they didn't give themselves advantages on Saturday. Yeah. And if there's one thing about this Big Ten conference, and we can talk all day long about how you know low scoring it can be and how kind of what a joke the Big Ten West is, blah, 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 blah. You have to be able to coach or you're yeah. going to get your ass kicked. Yeah. Nebraska only got their ass kicked once. And it was by a team that is under investigation for 7,000 different things. So we'll <laughs> let that one be what it is. And they're a yeah. very good football team. So yeah. I don't want to take anything away from what Michigan has done. But it is really hard to sit here on November 25th and tell you that the in-game coaching was that much better than what we saw under Scott Frost. And yeah. Scott Frost at times was a dumpster fire with clock management, with decisions. I mean, we didn't even, there was so much that happened yesterday. We didn't even talk about the fact that you sent out a tweet that my head was exploding. That Nebraska (laughs) with 50 some seconds left at their own 11 going into the wind was throwing passes in the second half when they were going to get the ball to start the, or excuse me, at the end of the first half when they were going to get the ball to start the second half. This after watching Jeff Sims throw an interception in Minnesota that cost you points. This after yeah. watching Chubba Purdy, Chubba Purdy throw you a needless interception against Maryland that cost you points. This after multiple times this year where you've attempted to move the ball down the field and score before halftime. It's either been a disaster or you've had to give the ball back to another team where they were able to put yeah. points up on the board. Like it's not and, – and a lot of it is rooted in Matt Rule does want to be aggressive. He was forced to yeah. be conservative this year. 
it also just seems like he doesn't have a great feel for what his team is at times. Yep. And whether that's, I want to play through my defense now, or I want to play through my offense now, it's a little puzzling. It's just confusing. And then there's things like, okay, you were going to run a fake field goal and your kicker doesn't get out there. That's not on him necessarily, but why would you take the time out? Why are you protecting five yards? If you know, you have to punt now. Who, what good does that do you? Yeah. And remember they had to burn their last time out because wide receivers were not lined up properly. I, I call it situational readiness. You're spot on. This program has taken a jump Monday through Friday. But Saturday leaves me a little bit curious because situational readiness was not very good and coaching in the Big Ten is really good. And it's only going to get better with the four teams that are coming in. So you're going to have a handful of decisions during the course of a game that you have to hit on for your team to be successful, even if they have like talent. Um, And that's an issue. The communication is really something they have to figure out because I thought it went sideways once Satterfield went upstairs yeah they it took too long to get plays in to get plays run there's too many you know you got your quarterback just kind of flinging his hands trying to get the center's attention with three seconds left on the play clock yep. that's not good when you're already talking about a situation where your quarterback play is suspect to begin with your offense is suspect to begin with but you the, the efficiency needs to be better the communication needs yep. to be streamlined and um the concern I have is Matt Rule is not like a new coach. Yep. These issues that he had during the year, clock management, uh, when to be aggressive, when to press, when to play back, how to read your team. I don't know that that just gets better. Yeah. I don't know that I can look at 2024 and be like, all right, well, you know, I got 12 games of Matt Rule, but he had to play with a backup quarterback. And that's why they decided to try to push the ball down the field with 51 seconds left into the wind against Iowa's defense. Yeah, see, that's the balance I have. I'm with you. Because I look at Baylor and Temple, and, God, he won 10 games, so there's got to be something there. But then I balance it with he has never beaten a Power 5 team that has won eight or more in a season. And that isn't just necessarily talent. There's decision-making that goes into that. And, you know, you followed football. We watch football on Saturday. We watch football on Sunday. When a coaching staff has these issues – they very rarely go away. They go away because you get something that is more about your strengths than your weaknesses. But right now, their sideline management and, and situational readiness is really a weakness that, that, gosh, I don't know. The only way to get away from it is to have better players, maybe. But they're going to be caught in these situations again yeah. next year. Hopefully in the offseason, they'll have this figured out because it's glaring and it's, it's a red flag. It's a it's a big red flag. I mean, it's like you can't get out coached by Harlan Bennett and Mike Loxley. Mm-hmm. Those are the guys that you're expected to be significantly better than. And Nebraska got out coached in the Michigan State game and the Maryland game. Yep, That's, it's uh, it it, it you know? the mar- the margin of error. We we know this is so small. Is how do you, how do you increase that margin of error so it's a lot larger? Is that with dudes or is it with decision-making? Yeah. You know, that's that's the balance you're going to have to figure out in the offseason because yesterday there were just too many in-game decisions where you went, gosh, could you just be Kirk Ferentz? Yeah. Well, and this is, you know, people might find this unfair, but frankly it all falls on the 
the feet of Matt Rule, and he'd be the first yep. to tell you it falls on the feet of Matt Rule. Stop worrying about everything that doesn't go on on Saturdays, too. Like, yeah. when is Nebraska going to have a coach whose emphasis is on Saturdays and less about the noise that surrounds everything else? And I don't mean quotes in the media or any of that, but there was a lot of theatrical production that was put into this season, a lot of emphasis and things that Matt Rule does and and he focuses on and puts his attention to and has people hired to put their attention to that have nothing to do with lining up and putting a football on the field and going and scoring touchdowns and preventing teams from scoring. And I hope that because this was the transition year that you, you laid the groundwork for some of that stuff. He doesn't have to focus on it as much anymore. And I'll leave some of the conversation off. Uh, You know, people can figure out what I'm talking about or they won't. I don't really care. The focus needs to be on Saturdays. The focus needs to be on the 60 minutes that your team is lining up and playing another Big Ten team. And it needs to be less about everything else surrounding the program. And that's really hard at a place like Nebraska where you're expected to to be, you know, with all of this stuff. And he is a control freak and he wants his fingers and his thought process on every single thing. You got it. Yep. But that means you wear it too. And he should be wearing it the entire offseason. And he will be. And I think he was taken back at Minnesota as the response to everything with decisions that were made. And I think being questioned a little bit. And, you know, it's his first game and all of that. You got 12 games. You're into it now. You're in the fishbowl. This is what happens here. You're either going to survive and adapt and adjust, or you're going to continue to focus on things that aren't Saturday. And yep. so I hope 2024 is a lot more focused on what happens on Saturday and what happens on the 60 minutes of game time when your team is on the field and less about all the other shit that happens around here. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, coaches in the past here have been derailed because they worry about – They get about, lost. Yeah, they, they worry about lost. so much stuff instead of what they were hired to do, and that is to coach football. And I would I would think he's gone through it now. He understands it. I could tell in the month of November when they were on the cusp and then yesterday that – it, it took him through the ringer. He found out what the passion is for this football Welcome program. Welcome to Nebraska football. And he also found out, out about the history. The quote after the Minnesota game of, I haven't been through this before, so I don't understand these one-possession losses. I think he clearly understands the angst about the one-possession losses and why they're continuing to be an issue at Nebraska after yesterday. It's all about growth, and it's all about response. The, the biggest word in the offseason is response. You've learned how do you respond to set yourself up for 2024 where you go to a bowl game because the the reality of it is, Shafe, this program has missed 105 optional practices by going to a bowl game over the last seven years. 105. What does that eventually do to a program? Keeps you where they are right now. Yep. Keeps you a uh, dollar short and a day late. I like that. I mean, that's – that's basically what Nebraska football has been. And I don't want this to come across like I I still have confidence that Matt Rule can build something here. But I would be absolutely lying through my teeth if I told you I didn't have more apprehension today than I did on November 25th of 2022 when I never watched him coach a game at yeah. Nebraska. I feel better about a lot of things today than I did on November 25th of 2022. But I don't feel better about in-game coaching on Saturdays Yep. And that's going to keep me worried all the way through until we see it next year. Yeah. If this that's, was the-, the, the toughest part about Nebraska football is you only get three months where they're in season. Yeah. 
You get the other nine months to talk yourself into whatever you need to talk yourself into or to talk yourself out of whatever. But ultimately, it comes down to being able to do it and proving it again and again and again on the football field. And they don't get that opportunity until they line mm -hmm. it up against UTEP. And then that one won't matter. And then they got to play Colorado. And then that one won't matter. And then they got to beat Minnesota and Wisconsin and Iowa. And they play Oregon and they play UCLA and they're going to play USC and they're going to play, I don't know if it's Ohio State or Michigan next year because there's been 47 iterations of the schedule and it's hard for me to keep it straight. <laughs> they uh, have to prove it again yeah, and again yeah. and again. And it doesn't matter what the offseason weightlifting video looks like on February 14th. It doesn't matter what Matt Rule's quote was on March 23rd. It doesn't matter how they played in the spring game. It doesn't matter what Matt Rule says on July 28th at Big Ten Media Days. None of it matters yeah. until they play another game, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of nine months you have to fast yeah. forward to get to three months, and then as soon as those three months are over, the best part about being a Nebraska football fan is the offseason. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks it's to me as a journalist. It sucks to yeah. you as someone who has a radio show. It just sucks. And so obviously this show is not going to end on any kind of positive high note that's going to make anyone feel good as they go into their post-Thanksgiving stupor. But the reality is, this is what Matt Rule faces. This is what he's inherited. And he won't yeah, get an opportunity to prove a damn thing until next August and September. Yeah, the, the one thing you can control, and that is on the field and wins and getting to six, even if you lose six games, they weren't able to control. If this is the bridge year, and to build and to, to put your stamp on the, the stuff behind the scenes, job accomplished. On the field, I think it ramps up the pressure for next year to be successful in getting to the ultimate goal and that is extending your season in December wherever that is going that's going to be the big challenge because here's the other part of it and kind of your your rant and just letting things out we always say people will come back because that's what they do with Nebraska football they're loyal as hell but after yesterday there are a lot of people that are worn out. Yeah. They're just simply worn out. And you're in the transition of, remember, you are going to change the stadium. You're going to change part of your fan base. What do you have to keep people engaged? And that's why 24 becomes, I think, a ramped up year. I don't want to hear about year three because Matt will tell you that they're further ahead than their previous two stops. I don't 20, care. Yeah, 2024 on the field, I mean, that's about wins. That's about and wins. It, and here's the thing to me, and I'll say this now and people can hold me to it. It, you know, 2024 can't just be getting to six. No. You said after the Purdue game, you don't want just one more. So success in 2024 has to be, you're going to need to prove that you can yeah. be competitive against Oregon or UCLA or USC or whomever. Like those are going to be your new contemporaries. Gone is where it needs to be competitive against Minnesota. Somehow that's out the window. Yeah. Somehow that test was failed. And now you've, you've advanced because it's education in 2022 and no one gets held back and, or excuse me, 2023, you've moved up. You're on to the next yep. classes and the next classes are Oregon and USC and UCLA. And these are your new contemporaries. And this is who you're going to be held against, you know, Washington in future seasons as well. Six wins isn't going to be enough in 2024. Like that's a, that's what yep. always happens here. There's the, okay, well, you got to give them time, and that's fair. I'm not advocating for yep. any kind of coaching change at all. 
I'm not even saying that Matt Rule has to change his coaching staff. I think there's changes again. But the, the goal isn't going to be six wins in 2024. No. The goal for 2023 was six wins. You missed it. Yeah. You don't get to repeat that as a goal in 2024. They have to show real progress. They have to go beat somebody that matters. They yep. probably have to win eight games, or otherwise you're just going to continue to have an apathetic yep. fan base. Yep. Yeah, they, they accomplished. They beat teams in their neighborhood. They beat Illinois. They beat Northwestern. They sure. beat Purdue. Those are all teams that you're in the same neighborhood with. They weren't able to beat the Iowas, Wisconsin's, and Minnesotas. That's the next step. That subdivision? But but, but that, yes, that subdivision where you can move out of uh, – They get the know, little pond and they don't allow you to walk around it with yeah. your dog. They put the big yeah. signs up. You're, you're, a bunch of jerks. You're in the neighborhood outside of the cul-de-sac. So you, like, moved your way into the cul-de-sac, but they wouldn't let you go and park in the circle. Um, it's But that cul-de-sac becomes more difficult – with four teams that are joining the conference and your schedule changes. you At the end of the day, this season is a, a missed opportunity because you'll never have things roll out in front of you like they had this year. So you got to learn a lesson and you have to go, man, we, we, didn't, we, didn't, we did not seize the opportunity that we had. Now the opportunity gets more difficult. Do we have the right tools to seize it in 2024? And we got all off season to talk about it, and you're right. That UTEP game is so far away, and then we'll get fired up because week two will be prime time coming to to Lincoln. But the off season will, uh, of course, have a lot of drama. But they've they we we joke about it, Chafe. They actually have to win the off season. They got to win the off season in the acquisition market. They need to win everything they can, but they also need to win on Saturdays in the fall. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that, seventy five minutes here. <laughs> Of a Sunday side session. You set the record last time and you're like, you know what? I'm going to shatter it. I'm going to make people listen to these these two talk for 75. That's what you did, Sharp. Hey, that's what happens when you have a full-time radio guy and a three-quarter radio guy talking. <laughs> with, no commercial, with no commercial break. I thought you were going to say one-seventh radio guy. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, no, no commercial breaks is huge. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't get paid for this. Yes. This yes. is all, you know, free. So, yeah. all right, everyone, thanks for listening again to this Sunday side session this season. Uh, yeah, hopefully some people called it therapeutic. I don't know that that's what it I think always today was. To I think it was. Today was just me being mad, I think. And not even mad. Like, it's, it's a difficult thing to explain because I'm not necessarily mad that Nebraska isn't a good football program. It's more so that I'm tired of watching the same thing with different characters and being told to expect different results, even though it all ends the same way. And I imagine if I'm tired of it, the fan base is mega tired of it. And so, uh, you know, for me, it's still a job. Like, it's always going to be a job. I'm going to approach it from the aspect of a job. But I also know when my teams haven't played well, I check out. And I think a lot of Nebraska fans are starting to check out. And the worst part is, it's yep. a lot harder to check back in unless they give you a reason to. Yep. And quite frankly, Nebraska football isn't really giving you reasons besides putting a new face in front of you every few years and saying, this is the guy. Yep. Here we are. No, nope, welcome I, to that, the offseason. That's a great line. They they Nebraska needs to find a reason for you to re-engage. And they weren't able to do that until UTEP. Is there something that happens between now and UTEP that you get re-engaged? 
I'm going to say what, where, a whistle I'm, stop tour is what they need. <laughs> well, a whistle stop tour around the state yeah. where they eat pie and drink beer. That's what's got to happen here, right? <laughs> Trev Alberts, is that what's coming? Uh, I don't know. It's a big off season. We're on to basketball. I don't know if you know, they might be 7-0 taking on Creighton next Sunday. I have heard a thing or two about that. Uh, you know, <laughs> what a, what a body a, switch movie. By the Maybe way, Nebraska football hey, is now Nebraska basketball, Gary. Hey, this was so this was so Nebraska yesterday. Is football loses, volleyball loses in a, I don't know, semi-meaningful match at Wisconsin. And then soccer, which no one scores on Stanford. Nebraska soccer scores and then they lose in overtime. What a what a typical Black Friday for Nebraska athletics. Yeah, well, it's uh, that's where they are. Those it, it's tough because all of the other two losses, one for for women's soccer, kudos to them, just an incredible season. Oh yeah, uh, John Walker, who just keeps hanging around. I mean, he just you know this is the best team he's had in a long time. There's no shame in losing to Stanford, but it just comes as a, the punctuation yeah. point of a day where just nothing went well. If Nebraska basketball doesn't take care of Cal State Fullerton, I may just not attend another sport. <laughs> yeah, like that's. I'm just going to put that one out there, and I will be covering that game for uh, Husker 24/7 as well. So be sure to check out that coverage on Saturday. Be sure to listen to uh, to Sharp and Hanley. In the mornings from 6 to 10 on 1620 The Zone. Uh, I was driving around after Thanksgiving. We, we were up in Omaha, and then I was heading to Columbus, and I was I was trying to see how far the 1620 signal would reach. Yeah, uh, You guys do not quite make it to the gun range out by Fremont. That's sort of where we lost you, right around the city dump. That's that's about the northwest corner uh, where, where I was able to get it. So, um, you know, we'll – but you can get you we're on trying. the stream, right? Yes. The stream, yes. Is, the stream is everywhere. You listen, can listen at listen the gun on range. On listen the on your phone. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Anything else from you, Gary? Uh, no, I think we've covered everything. Do you regret this now? I uh, do not because this was kind of therapeutic. <laughs> well, that's what that's what people keep saying, but that's not really, that wasn't the goal. <laughs> the the no. goal wasn't to be therapeutic. Yeah, but it's. The goal was I, to talk football about a team that could be interesting. Hey, you're. But mostly is maddening. But your article on 24 7 is absolutely right. It's an all too familiar feeling the day after Iowa. An all too familiar offseason. But the good news is Husker 24 7 and 1620 The Zone will be there to get you through it every step of the way. And we are less, we are a little over a week away from the portal. Yeah. Your enthusiasm. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> All right, everybody. For Gary Sharp, I'm Mike Shaver. You're listening to the Husker 24-7 podcast. We'll catch you next time.